There are bad people in this audience. Very, 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 very bad people. Assholes. Assholes in this audience trolling respected fantasy analysts like Mike Clay on Twitter yesterday. It's a bad look. It's a bad look for you. It's a bad look for me. It's a bad look for the show. I couldn't even use Twitter.com yesterday because a whole swath of my mentions were toxic. Because some of you thought it was a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. I get an idea. Let's at Mike Clay on Twitter, light some torches, and burn him an effigy on his lawn. It's a good idea. That sounds fun. What are you doing? Disparaging one of the most highly respected fantasy analysts on Twitter, and then mentioning him using his Twitter handle and attaching my name to it. You oofs! What is wrong with you? I know what's happening. It's a problem that I knew was inevitable. The show's audience is growing exponentially. I want the show's audience to grow. So I want this. This is what I wanted. But in the deepest recesses of my mind, I also knew that as the audience expands, that also means the lowest common denominator will ultimately stumble upon the show. And that's dangerous. The fact that that happens puts the show in danger. Many of you love the show. That's why the audience is growing so much. You want a show that explores the interesting aspects of fantasy football and the fantasy football community. You don't want just another waiver wire, start, sit, box score, walkthrough podcast. But this is the ultimate double-edged sword that comes with popularity. This show is a party. A lot of us are having a good time. And some bad people have wandered over to see what's going on. And unsurprisingly, these people are attracted to a host with an aggressive tone. And that's a problem. Because unknowingly, I have activated the aspects of humanity that I despise. Because it would be one thing if, unprovoked... You decided one day to attack Mike Clay on Twitter. I get that every day on the internet. The worst people on the internet call me the worst possible names. I was called a Nazi N-word. I don't even know how that's possible, but that's what I was called recently on the internet service. So my psyche is hardened to these attacks. Most fantasy analysts are not. And what exacerbates it is that you pretend that you're not acting alone, even though you are acting alone, alone in your stupidity. You apes bring my name into it, as if you think that's what I wanted. Did I do a good job, Fantasy Mansion? We got Mike Clay good, didn't we? <laughs> no! What are you doing? No, you didn't do a good job. What's wrong with you, ape? I feel like I'm doing a show at a zoo, and all of you are just chimps with machine guns. I can't believe it, but I now have these generic internet trolls that embody the worst of humanity and that constantly demonstrate a hideous misuse of modern technology. Those people now follow the show and listen to me, and that makes me profoundly sad. But it gets worse. Oh, it gets, it gets worse. It gets worse because here's what these animals do. They twist my words and condense them into 140 characters to the point that they end up shouting words at Mike Clay that are unrecognizable from what I said. And then they attach my name to it. It's maddening because what I said was well thought out with nuance 
and I explained my position over the course of 10 minutes. An interesting, engaging discussion with the audience. We received a lot of interesting feedback at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. A lot of people found the last show interesting. And most of you know that you can't condense a 10-minute soliloquy into 140 characters. Most people would never dream of doing that. But some of you do. And you end up inevitably mischaracterizing my sentiments and staining my integrity in the process and making yourself look like a buffoon. So don't do it! Don't run out and mention the people that we talk about on this show on Twitter. Stop it! You're clearly not equipped to summarize my statements on my behalf. I do not give you permission to do that. So stop it, fools. I know part of this is my fault because I sit here emotionally naked, saying the things that come to my mind without a filter. And I sound aggressive doing it. And some of you heard the tone and you interpreted it as, oh, I must think that Mike Clay's a bad guy. I don't. He's not a blowhard. He's not a fraud. Why are you calling him that on Twitter and then tagging me as if I said those words? I didn't say those words. You all tweeting Mike Clay, you're the blowhards, not him. You're the frauds, not him. How do you all listen to the show and hear blowhard and fraud? I never said anything like that. Check the transcript. Those are not my words. How do you hear it that way? You have one job, to be a listener, and you do it poorly. Really, really, really poorly. Those of you that know how to listen, remember what I said, and you're not surprised by the fact that I stand by what I said, because the discussion that we had in the last show was imminently interesting to me and to many of you based on the feedback we're getting via Twitter and email. People tweeting me, NOT MIKE CLAY! Because the topic was, what are the underlying reasons for the deterioration of the sports opinions of certain analysts? And in the case of Mike Clay, we came to the conclusion that he's overexposed and <gasps> he's human. He's human. And now Mike Clay is tilting. And you are part of the reason why he's tilting. And I feel bad that somehow I have activated the lowest common denominator in the sports community. He doesn't deserve that. And it makes me nauseous to see you attack him. Because I brought up his name out of curiosity, not out of resentment. Maybe a little resentment. Maybe. A little bit. Mostly curiosity. And in talking it through on air, I came to the conclusion that Mike Clay is human. And that's endearing. I like Mike Clay more than ever after talking his situation through on air. But now you all have put me in this impossible situation because my only move now is to go to Mike Clay on bended knee and apologize. And I'm not going to apologize because I'm not sorry. Go check the transcript. There's nothing there to be sorry about. It's unfortunate that you decided to attack Mike Clay because Mike Clay apparently doesn't know how to use social media for his own benefit. I didn't see this coming. I figured Mike Clay with 60,000 followers would simply ignore the feces that the worst members of this audience are throwing into his mentions. But oh no, no. Someone needs to tell Mike Clay the cardinal rule of hip hop. You beef up, you don't beef down. Why 
is an ESPN personality with over 60,000 followers responding to trolls with 20 followers. First day of Twitter school, you learn, don't do that. So you can imagine the shock and horror that I feel. Seeing members of this audience burn him in effigy and then attach my name to it, and then to see him respond? Horrifying, but also, again, endearing. He's not super social media savvy. That's endearing to me. He's not a marketing whiz. That's endearing to me. Mike Clay showing his naivete by believing the mischaracterization of my words by the trolls. It's endearing. Unfortunately, Mike Clay internalizes their words and then inevitably disparages me. And all I can do is exhale. Oh, God. Gosh. If you're going to criticize my Jeremy Lankford analysis because Jeremy Lankford is the only player you feel comfortable criticizing, you got to listen to the show and get your facts straight before you start talking out of your ass on social media, Mike Clay. I mean, come on. Mike Clay is like my grandfather with social media. He's just a doddering fool. So stop provoking him. He doesn't know any better. You think you're being clever, jumping in his mentions, and dropping my name. You're not. You're just being oafish, gossipy assholes. And it's beyond that. You're not merely gossipy assholes. You're narcs. I mean, we've had this talk before, but it predates our audience explosion before we became one of the top podcasts on the iTunes Sports and Rec rankings. We're no longer in the top 20. We're still in the top 50. Thank you, everyone that's rated the show. But before this popularity explosion, we had this talk about not running out to social media and snitching on me. Don't do that. The things we talk about on this show stay in-house. You only do damage to the show and to me and to yourself when you snitch on social media. How does it hurt the show? If I'm blackballed across the fantasy football community, I can't get guests. You want to have Evan Silva on the show? You want to have Matthew Friedman on the show? You want to have JJ Zacharyson on the show? You want to have Alex Gelhar on the show? Stop snitching! I criticize the buzzards that follow this show and criticize me. Send me condescending emails and tweets. Oh, the buzzards are held in higher esteem than the snitches. The snitch is the worst. That is the lowest. I mean, the snitch is not exactly a bird, but because the Harry Potter movies, we can put the snitch in the bird category. So when you're looking at the audience demographics, the prestige hierarchy, number one, minions, number two, buzzards, number three, way down the list are the snitches. You all need to focus on letting me do the talking and you do the listening because my job is to get the message out. Your job is to listen to it, not to repackage it, mischaracterize it and shoot it out of your ass at the guy I talked about on the show. If I want you to speak to another fantasy analyst on my behalf, I'll ask, okay? I'll ask. I'll ask you. I'll reach out and I'll say, hey, can you have a conversation with Mike Clay for me? If you don't get that email from me, you don't get that tweet from me, shut up. Knock it off. Stay low. And it's not just because you're a bad listener and you say I said things I didn't say. 
It's because we want them to go listen to the show. If they hear that they were talked about on the show and they're curious, they should have to go listen. Don't give them a crotch. Don't give them the shitty misquoted cliff notes. We want people like Mike Clay to listen to the show because our sensibilities will start to seep into their shows and their content. If members of the sports media start to listen to this show, our sensibilities will seep into their approach to sports and fantasy football. Maybe, just maybe, we'll be inundated with less sports cliches. And people like Mike Clay will be a little less self-serious. That's the goal. You berating these people on social media detracts from the goal. Makes the goal more difficult to attain. Don't you see that? More than anything, I want to see more fun in fantasy football. We need to make fantasy football fun again. There are way too many self-serious analysts like Mike Clay. And if we can get them to listen to the show, then maybe, just maybe, fantasy football will become more fun. We've talked about this many times. Fantasy football, what is it? It's a fake game layered on top of another game. It's extra entertainment on top of sports entertainment. None of us should be self-serious. But most of the analysts are like Mike Clay. Very serious. Yes, very serious. Because after I was forced to respond to Mike Clay's attacks on Twitter, which I did with a graceful surgical strike, showing a screenshot of me drafting Charles Sims before Jeremy Langford and then him drafting Tavon Austin soon after. Whoops! If you have the book on Mike Clay, you know his next move is always to say, oh, well, that's fine, but I'm sure you've been wrong about players. We've all been wrong about players. And unless you've never been wrong about a player, don't criticize me. Stay classy. Oh, Mike. Mike, 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 Mike. <sighs> you really don't get it. I'm not classy. And because I know I'm not classy and I don't try to be classy, I can say whatever the fuck I want. And I can be wrong over and over and over and over and over again. And it won't stop me from criticizing your process and your results. Clearly. Those of you that follow me know I've been very right about some players, and I've been very wrong about some players, as we all have. At least those of us that stake out more than one position on one player. I have more than just one canned Jeremy Langford take that I can lean on. I have a lot of takes, and some of them were very, very wrong. But just because I've been publicly wrong does not mean I can't gleefully eviscerate you for your bad sports takes, because that's my job. That's why so many of you tune in. You want the critic's critic. That's the primary reason I exist. I exist to criticize people from Mike Clay to Sigmund Bloom, those that had previously operated above reproach. Well, those days are over, and you can no longer wave around our shared fallibility as some kind of force field. You saying, you're not allowed to criticize me, you've been wrong too. If anything, that hollow defense just makes me want to criticize you even more strongly. As you sit on your pious, we are all sinners perch. Yes, we are all sinners. Let's talk about those sins, shall we? 
I feel like all the fantasy analysts are on a telephone wire, just squawking, telling all the other analysts to band together and let's make sure we don't criticize one another. Yeah, we're in this together, guys. I won't criticize you. You won't criticize me. We'll all win. We're just one big consortium. Yeah. Then in swoops Matt Kelly, the Blue Jay. All the birds scatter. You know why all the fantasy analysts have each other's backs and don't criticize one another, right? You know why, unlike comedians and other entertainers, the fantasy analysts don't criticize one another. You know why, right? Shared poverty. The conventional wisdom that fantasy analysts follow is, there's not much money in this business, so we all need to focus on building each other up and not tearing each other down and fighting over dimes on the floor. We need to unify. We all need to lock arms and approach Matthew Barry on bended knee and ask him to set up a roto pass so we can eat some of the scraps from his table. And if we're all a member of the roto pass, we're all on the same team. And you don't criticize your teammates publicly, do you? No, that's not a good idea. And that's been the conventional wisdom for many years until I came along and said, no, thank you. I don't want to be on Roto Pass. I'm not going to join Fantasy Pros. You want my rankings for free? Get out of here. You want me to pay to repost my article on your fantasy aggregation sites? No, thank you. You want me to dilute my brand by bundling it with all these other sites? Offering the generic fantasy football analysis? Most of them still advocating value-based drafting? I don't want to associate myself with any of them. I am untethered. My gambit was, I will go it alone. Playerprofiler.com will be untethered. It's a big risk. And fortunately, it has paid off because we don't do discounts. We don't do bundling. If you want the best fantasy football information, you pay more at Player Profiler than you do anywhere else. And what happened? People are paying. Oh, yes, you're paying for the rankings and you're paying for the data analysis in particular. So many of you have realized the value of data analysis. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis. We thought we might get 200 subscribers. We have over a thousand now. A lot of you have realized, oh, wait, using playerprofiler.com, listening to Roto Underworld Radio without data analysis doesn't make sense. It doesn't. You all should go there now and sign up. Not only is the data itself worth the money, so you can go back and look at the metrics on players going all the way back to 2013, you're also supporting the only truly independent voice in the fantasy football community. When you sign up for premium on playerprofiler.com, you're enabling the first independent actor who is truly untethered. Do you think the people at Football Guys like the people at Rotoviz? Some of them do, a lot of them don't. But do the people at Rotoviz criticize the people at Football Guys? You never hear it. Do the people at Football Guys criticize the people at Rotoviz? Very rarely. The value-based drafting people are probably not going to get along with the zero RB people. Why is it so difficult to get an honest opinion on a fantasy football podcast? Shared poverty. Most of the proprietors of the fantasy sites that you visit, they don't work in the industry full-time. They have day jobs because they don't make enough money in fantasy football to support their families. 
that's been the reality for over a decade. Even with that knowledge, I said, I'm going to give the fantasy football community credit. I'm going to give them credit for knowing what the highest quality product looks like, what it sounds like, and I believe they're willing to pay for it. So a truly independent voice that offers untethered criticism is here, and he is me. And if you want this to continue, go to playerprofiler.com, sign up for the rankings, sign up for data analysis, or go to forward slash podcast, click learn more, and become an official show patron. You will give 6 to $8 per month. If you do that, you'll receive a Roto Underworld t-shirt or a Roto Underworld hoodie. Everyone should be doing that. If the entire community bands together and supports the show through these channels then that will sustain this show and playerprofiler.com for the next decade. And after that, you only have one other responsibility. Keep your mouth shut on social media. Let me express myself how I want to express myself and stop going behind the show's back and snitching on social media by mischaracterizing the things we say because you're not qualified. You're qualified to listen, you're qualified to support, but you're not qualified to be the voice of this show on any platform. So at this point, you want some fantasy advice. Here's some free advice for you, suckas. Through my fury and rage, I did make some notes in the last 24 hours so I could talk about players today. But the first player on the list reminds me that this audience is really bad at listening because I'm reading on Twitter that I think that Dwayne Washington was a bad player. You said on your podcast he's a bad player. No, I didn't! I didn't say that! What is wrong with you people? I didn't say anything like that. I provided a nuanced position on Dwayne Washington, explaining why he's not a more valuable player for the rest of the season than Theo Riddick. That you shouldn't be playing Dwayne Washington over Theo Riddick in week three. That was what I said. And yet somehow the monkeys in this audience distilled it down to, you said Dwayne Washington was a bad player. I just, God, I just can't. The Dwayne Washington, Theo Riddick dynamic is very similar to the Danny Woodhead, Melvin Gordon dynamic that we had in San Diego, at least for the first game. Theo Riddick will receive more opportunities than Dwayne Washington. His touches are going to go up. That means his carries are going to go up, just like Danny Woodhead. Danny Woodhead received a 60% snap share to Melvin Gordon's 40% snap share before Danny Woodhead went out for the season. Rest in peace, Danny. That's what I believe we'll see in Detroit. Theo Riddick will be a high-volume satellite back. Dwayne Washington will be the between-the-tackles pounder. Now, if something happens to Theo Riddick and Theo Riddick goes down, then Dwayne Washington becomes incredibly interesting because Dwayne Washington is an efficient receiver. If Theo Riddick goes down, Dwayne Washington could conceivably become an RB1 in fantasy. That's in his range of outcomes. It's just another reason you need to be stashing Dwayne Washington. He has, because he has the size and upper percentile athleticism across the board, look at his workout metrics on playerprofiler.com, and he's a slick receiver, he checks a lot of boxes. Very few running backs have as much upside as Dwayne Washington. But that doesn't mean you start Dwayne Washington over Theo Riddick. You cannot. 
The Lions are visiting Green Bay this week. Does that sound like a game in which the Lions will be leading in the second half and they'll need to milk the clock with a between-the-tackles grinder like Dwayne Washington? No. Lions at Packers screams high-scoring game in which the Lions will be passing a lot in the second half. That means Theo Riddick will receive an inordinately high snap share and running back opportunity share. On our playerprofiler.com player rankings, we have Theo Riddick as an RB1 in fantasy this week because the game flow will be working in his favor. We also have a concierge program, playerprofiler.com forward slash concierge for personal team advice. And I'm seeing a lot of potential trades involving Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson missed practice this week with a bad knee. I think this is the perfect time to go out and acquire Deshaun Jackson. Perfect time. We've talked about acquiring Jamison Crowder and Josh Doxson. Why? Because the Redskins' pass-run ratio projects to be the highest in the NFL. Kirk Cousins could finish in the top half of the league in fantasy points for quarterbacks while leading the league in interceptions based on volume alone. Kirk Cousins has started the season with two straight 300-yard games. Who's the number one wide receiver on Washington? Deshaun Jackson. He's entrenched as their number one option, and yet I'm seeing him added to trades as a throw-in. If anything, you should be crafting a deal to steal Deshaun Jackson at this very moment. They play the Giants this week. This is not necessarily a great matchup. Go back to week one. Deshaun Jackson had 10 targets, six receptions, 102 yards. And last week, he was wide open on a deep bomb, and Kirk Cousins just missed him. Think about Deshaun Jackson's 2016 stat line if that deep bomb was completed. He would have 10 receptions for 250 yards and a touchdown. He'd be averaging 18 fantasy points per game. Instead, he's averaging 11 fantasy points per game. One play can change a player's entire perception. And now he's setting out practice with a sore knee. Deshaun Jackson is the one player in the National Football League that I am aggressively trying to acquire across all fantasy football formats. Especially in Dynasty. He's going to be 30 years old soon. <gasps> Worthless. Past the age apex. That means you can get Deshaun Jackson for a future draft pick in Dynasty. It's absurd how easy it is to acquire Deshaun Jackson at this very moment. The guy that I'm not stashing in Dynasty is Cody Latimer. When it looked like Demarius Thomas was going to miss week two, you started to see the Cody Latimer tweets seep into the fantasy football conversation. Oh, gotta make sure you stash Cody Latimer. Great stash. Yeah. Get Cody Latimer. Right. Yeah. A lot of upside. Right? Yeah. A lot of upside. Yeah. Cody Latimer. Yeah. See, I heard this last year with Jalen Strong, and then the Texans went out and drafted Will Fuller in the first round. Cody Latimer has a 128.4 83rd percentile burst score and a 112.2 93rd percentile height adjusted speed score, but he only has a 27.4% 40th percentile college dominator rating. What does that mean? Historically, Cody Latimer has underperformed his athleticism. His best comparable player, not surprisingly, on playerprofiler.com is Aaron Dobson. He is Aaron Dobson West. And no, I don't believe you should be stashing Cody Latimer even if Emmanuel Sanders or Demarius Thomas misses time, especially with Trevor Simeon at quarterback. Take an inefficient college quarterback, pair him with an underwhelming college receiver. I'm supposed to be excited about that? No, 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 no. You watch. 
Demarius Thomas misses time, lock the gates because the stash Cody Latimer zombie analysis will be on its way. Cody Latimer is a bust, even though some people haven't figured it out yet. He is. Jared Goff a bust? No, Jared Goff's not a bust. You think Jared Goff is a bust just because the Rams are misguided starting Case Keenum over Jared Goff? The Rams should absolutely be starting Jared Goff. No question about it. The developmental quarterback is a myth. But it's funny how inconsistent you all are in your assessment of front offices. You'll say on the one hand that generally speaking, the franchise is incompetent. From the general manager to Jeff Fisher, incompetent. But... But in the same breath, you'll assume that their self-scouting and benching of Jared Goff was rational. What? Jared Goff was the number one overall pick. Doesn't that matter? I thought draft capital was so important to evaluating players. Remember Cody Latimer drafted in the second round. That means he's good, right? 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 So many of you love to wave around draft capital. That is unless... You don't like the player, or you like a player drafted in the later rounds. Then, Tajay Sharp. Well, I'm seeing Tajay Sharp now ranked ahead of Corey Coleman in Dynasty Leagues. (laughs) What? What about the draft capital? What happened? Seeing Dak Prescott as the number one quarterback from the 2016 class. How? What happened to Carson Wentz? What happened to Jared Goff? What happened to Paxton Lynch? What happened to draft capital? Dak Prescott was drafted in the fourth round. Oh, we've already changed our mind. Draft capital, schmaff capital. So inconsistent. Maddening. Speaking of inconsistency, look at Derrick Henry. None of you know what to do with Derrick Henry. I find that so amusing because during the pre-draft process, he lacked burst, right? Lacked the wiggle. Needs a long runway to get going. Can only succeed in a very specific scheme with an ultra-efficient run-blocking offensive line. Outside of that, Derrick Henry destined to fail. But then somehow, someway... Many of you ended up with Derrick Henry on your redraft rosters, and you refused to drop him. (laughs) I don't understand. I love Derrick Henry in Dynasty. I had Derrick Henry as a top five overall pick in Dynasty Leagues. If you couldn't get Ezekiel Elliott or Corey Coleman, I said feel free, push the button on Derrick Henry. Certainly like Derrick Henry more than Laquan Treadwell. But Derrick Henry was leaking into the very end of the first round of rookie drafts. But you all were still picking him in the top 100 players in redraft. What's happening there? I don't understand. He's the clear-cut backup to DeMarco Murray, who the Titans specifically targeted to bring in as their number one running back for 2016. All the reports coming out of Tennessee have been glowing about DeMarco Murray. Why would you think that Derrick Henry would be a valuable redraft fantasy asset in 2016? That doesn't make any sense. But yet many of you have him on your bench. And when I say it's okay to drop him in redraft, (gasps) what? His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Zangief from Straight Fighter. How can we possibly drop Derrick Henry? Uh, here's how. Because he's a backup. And not only is he a backup, he's a backup running back on a team that won't be winning many games in 2016. But what about the exotic Smash Mouth? The exotic Smash Mouth? If your run-pass ratio is skewed toward the run, then your run-pass ratio is skewed toward the run. 
Just by using provocative words like exotic smash mouth doesn't make it any better. Running first, passing second is still the inefficient way to run an NFL offense. So the Titans are a bad team with a backwards offensive philosophy. They're going to be losing more than they're winning in the second half, and yet they plan to implement a run-first approach? Anytime a team has implemented a paradoxal offensive system, it hurts all the offensive skill position players. It hurts Marcus Mariota. It hurts Tajay Sharp. It hurts Delani Walker. It hurts Rashard Matthews. It hurts Derrick Henry, and it hurts DeMarco Murray. It hurts everyone. Derrick Henry's college target share, 3.8%, 12th percentile. Derrick Henry will not be heavily used in the passing game this year. Derrick Henry is a backup on a team that will be experiencing negative game flow throughout the year, and he isn't active in the passing game. So why are you stashing that guy? I have no idea. You all were drafting him ahead of Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon. Why were you doing that? I have no idea. The exotic smash mouth doesn't work when you're down 22 to 10 in the second half. And we mentioned Dynasty League football earlier. I've been ending shows lately with Dynasty Sleepers, and I have two Dynasty Sleeper tight ends for you today. Number one, Niles Paul. Niles Paul is the most intriguing backup tight end in the NFL. 131.2, 94th percentile Spark X score. Incredible speed, burst, agility, catch radius. He's added weight in the offseason as he rehabilitated his ankle injury, and now he's become an efficient blocker. When, not if, Jordan Reed misses time, it's not going to be Vernon Davis. It's going to be Niles Paul. And I'm stashing Niles Paul in deep leagues, particularly deep leagues with a tight end premium, for the same reasons I'm going out and trying to trade for Jamison Crowder and Josh Doxson and especially Deshaun Jackson. You want the players that operate in the high-volume passing games. And that's what Niles Paul is. And Niles Paul was a dominant producer at Nebraska at the wide receiver position. A phenomenal receiver, a tremendous athlete, and he could be thrust into a role for a high-volume offense that gives him top-five tight end upside. That's why you must stash Niles Paul depending on the format, if you have the opportunity. You also should be targeting Trey Burton. Trey Burton got seven targets last week. They were using Trey Burton like they use Zach Ertz. We didn't know how the Eagles would deploy their tight ends. Would they feed Brent Selleck? Would they feed Trey Burton? The answer is Trey Burton. Like Niles Paul, Trey Burton wallowed in the shadow of Jordan Reed, except he did it at the college level at Florida. But in his final season at Florida, Trey Burton ascended and became one of the most trusted members of the Florida passing game, posted a 15.4% college dominator. Good, not great for a tight end. But when you look at his measurables, 46240, 84th percentile, 1146 agility score, 65th percentile. He looks the part of a productive NFL move tight end, someone who can deliver low-end tight end one production. Trey Burton's never going to be a top five fantasy tight end in the league. He's not. But he could do the things that Owen Daniels did once upon a time. The Eagles don't have a lot of good options in the passing game. Their number two receiver is Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar is a below replacement wide receiver. And Doriel Green Beckham, even though he's a size speed phenom, has been unable to supplant Nelson Aguilar on the depth chart. What does that tell you? 
that after Jordan Matthews, either the tight end or Darren Sproles is the de facto number two receiver in that passing game. So you can absolutely stream Trey Burton this week against Pittsburgh, who gives up more than one fantasy point per game above the mean to opposing tight ends. But he's more than just a redraft streamer. He's someone you can stash in Dynasty. You never know what's going to happen with Zach Ertz. Just look at Tyler Eifert. A lot of tight ends get hurt a lot in the NFL. So if I'm going to stash a tight end in Dynasty, I want him to look a lot like either Niles Paul or Trey Burton, either be a member of a high-volume offense like Niles Paul or play a featured role in his offense like Trey Burton. 